to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Esports is no longer a sector that we can simply look at and say, let's just wait and see how it all plays out. Reports from Yuzu and Juniper Research last year show that the global esports audience grew to 474 million people in 2021, with revenues from competitive gaming just shy of US $1.1 billion. The growth of esports audience represents year-on-year growth of 8.7%. To clarify, to be classed as part of that 475 million esports audience, you had to watch competitive gaming more than once a month. The audience is expected to continue to grow with a compound annual growth rate of 7.7%, which will see it rise to around about 577 million people in 2024. The $1.1 billion in revenue is a 14.5% increase on the $947.1 million that occurred in 2020. Of the $1.1 billion revenue figure in 2021, $833.6 million came from media rights and sponsorship. So that's 76% of total revenue. Significant seems to be the common thread here. Significant audience growth, significant revenue, media rights and sponsorship contributing a significant percentage to total revenue and significant forecasting. Brands are noticing and teams and players have realised their position of power. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 106, brought to you by Core Software. Thanks again for joining us. I hope you are well, and I hope everything's great in your part of the sponsorship world. Before we dive into the show, I have a few shout-outs. Braden Mellon connected with me on LinkedIn. Braden, along with Annika Jameson, are co-founders of the Sports Collective. And Braden said, reaching out to let you know the Inside Sponsorship podcast has been extremely helpful helpful to me over the last 12 months. Currently in a career shift from sports and conditioning coaching, the Sports Collective is focusing on digital content and sponsorship in grassroots sport. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much, Braden. And he went on to add, we've just brought on a few students for placement through the local university and we've tasked them with listening to at least six episodes of your podcast over the next 12-week period. So I love that. It's so cool. So to the interns, who I understand are called Emery, Harvey and Andrew, if you're listening to this episode, hi, and I hope you're doing well. And I hope this show really does become part of your ongoing playlist because We are so lucky to be joined by so many amazingly intelligent people on the show and so everyone can learn from them. And speaking of intelligent people, our guest for this episode is Patrick Collins. Patrick has a long history in sport, having worked on the agency and rights holders side across many organisations, including Everton FC, Tottenham Hotspur, Madison Sports Group, Swansea City Football Club, and most recently as head of partnerships at XL Esports. XL Esports is a British esports organisation with active rosters in League of Legends, Fortnite, FIFA, and Valorant. Its main League of Legends division is one of 10 teams competing in the League of Legends European Championship, the top level of professional League of Legends in Europe. And Patrick, and we'll hear more about this when we speak to Patrick, is striking out on his own on the agency side. So I won't steal his thunder too much we'll hear more about that soon here's patrick patrick welcome to the show we always start with an icebreaker question or two just to help the audience get to know you just for us to start on a little bit of a a soft note your icebreaker seeing that we're here to talk about esports is what's the first ever computer game that you remember playing 
So I remember my, my older brother getting a Sega Mega Drive. It must have been in the early 90s. And it came with Sonic the Hedgehog and a game called Ghouls and Ghosts, which were both sort of side-scrolling platform games. So obviously gaming has moved on a lot a lot from there. But um, yeah, those are the first two games that I remember playing. And then a couple of years later on, we kind of upgraded to an N64 when they came out and played a lot of GoldenEye and Mario Kart um, in my sort of uh, youth and childhood years. I was a big fan of GoldenEye. I was looking at some platforms today. I saw a guy with a massive wall. He's trying to collect all these games. I saw a couple of Nintendo 64s, and I wonder whether he had some GoldenEye in there. I'd be pretty disappointed if he didn't. Classic game. Classic game. So the screen was split into four. You had a rumble pack on your on your, on your controller. I mean, yeah, we spent, spent a lot of hours playing playing those games with friends. So are you a gamer now? And if so, what sort of games do you play? Do you have time for games? I know that you've got two young kids. Yeah, exactly. I, I wish I had I had some time to, to, to play some video games. Now, I've got a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. So, um, yeah, not a lot of downtime. I mean, if I did, I'd, I'd, it'd be, you know, Call of Duty, um, you know, more casual games like FIFA. Um, they were the sort of games I, I last played um, in any sort of serious amount of time. But, yeah, unfortunately, um, don't have the luxury of uh, a lot of spare time right now. Look, let's get into the serious stuff. I appreciate that you no longer are employed at Excel, but can you still maybe set the scene for us a little bit? How is an organisation like Excel Esports set up in terms of teams and rosters? Like, like what does the organisation look like and what does it do? So in some ways, an esports team or, or organisation, as, as they often call themselves, not too dissimilar to a traditional sports team. So, you know, there'll be the performance side of the business where the players and the coaches are. And then, you know, what still surprises some people is that, you know, a majority of these orgs have got, um, you know, sports psychologists and nutritionists in there because these are, are elite performers and, and you want to perfor- put a performance structure around them to succeed. And then, you know, outside of that, you've got the um, sort of the non-playing side of side of the business where, you know, you know, I come in. So there's the commercial, there's marketing, there's social, there's content. So yeah, they're the kind of you know two different sides of the of the business. And then what really differentiates you know an esports organization to a, a traditional sports team is that they, th- these esports orgs can play you know up to ten different titles, different games. So they'll have ten different pro teams you know sitting under the banner of that of that one team, which doesn't really happen in traditional sport. You know you could take somebody like a Real Madrid who have got you know, a football team and a basketball team, but, you know, first and foremost, they're a football team and that's how kind of everybody knows them. Whereas some of these esports organizations are, you know, massive in say League of Legends and they're massive in Counter-Strike, Global Offensive, another one of the big, big titles. And they're, you know, you know, equally as recognizable um, for those two, for those two games. And um, so that's, yeah, really interesting. You spoke about some of those things like nutritionists and psychologists, those those performance-based elements that help support the, the teams, which, to be fair, is pretty mature for what is still a fledgling industry. It might be surprising to some people. That sounds mature. What about the sponsorship side? How would you describe the maturity of the e-sponsorship industry in terms of how it's managed? The performance side is definitely mature because – you know, as 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 lots of people know, you know, prize money is pretty significant in with it within esports. I think the um, sponsorship partnership side of the business um, is probably not quite as developed. And and you know, I've heard it be described by people as kind of gaming and esports as a whole is is kind of in the teenage years, which I think is probably a, a fair analogy. And and the sponsorship side of it probably sits with there as well. 
you know, it's definitely maturing. Um, but to be fair, you know, a lot of the right holders don't have the infrastructure in place or, or maybe even the experience um, to, you know, attract and retain big commercial partners and, 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 and really be able to manage them to their sort of full potential. You know, there are, you know, plenty of people in the space who understand gaming, you know, you know, all commercial, but, you know, having that, that mix is, is still probably not, not that common. Um, and there's a lot of education needed with brands, you know, trying to explain the nuances between the different titles and understand, you know, the, the different opportunities that sit in there and why and how they should enter. And this has kind of been part, you know, why I left Excel and, and why I'm sort of setting up my own business at the moment, because I see there's a, there's a real opportunity in there. Um, but, you know, saying that, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, an industry potentially in its, you know, teenage years. However, you know, brands like Mercedes-Benz, brands like BMW, Louis Vuitton, Gucci have all invested in this space already. So, you know, it's doing pretty well considering everything. You speak about how some people might view the esports industry as being in its its teenage years, and you were at XL Esports for two and a half years. How did that organisation potentially, as you phrase it, a, a teenager? How did it change and grow that commercial program from when you were first there, when you first walked in, and to what it looks like now when you walk away? Difficult to answer without sounding maybe arrogant, but um, you know, I, w when I joined the business, you know, I was the the only person on the commercial side. It was very much a blank slate. You know, there was a couple of low-level partners paying, you know, not, not a lot of money and, and not really getting a lot of value in return. You know, there was some some you know logos being placed here and here and a bit of content and some social media, but not really a a full sort of offering and 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 you know partnership package in place. So. I had some success uh, early on and I was able to build a, a really great team and, and bring in um, some endemics and, and also non-endemic partners and, you know, looked at what the proposition was and created inventory, I was able to take it to market in a, in a targeted way and, and you know, ha had some success, like I said, and, and was managed to sort of execute, um, you know, pretty well um, in the first sort of six months and then sort of build on that over the next sort of two and a half years and, you know, you know, I left the business with some great non-endemic partners like, you know, I brought on BT, British Telecom, which then evolved into EE, you know, one of the biggest, you know, UK telcos um, there is. You know, Neosurf, a global payments provider, JD Sports, you know, Sony, where we did a, a partnership around their mobile, Chubba Chub. So, you know, ended up creating a, a, a really strong partner family. So, yeah, really proud of the kind of work I did at Excel over those two and a half years. Great job. Now, Patrick, sponsorship is all about brands accessing and engaging with markets and demographics that they may otherwise find hard to access and engage with or maybe can't do it as efficiently. I appreciate different esports will have different demographics in terms of the games that are playing and, and, and the audiences that they can attract as fans. But generally speaking, what are some of the demographics or the similarities across esports fans? It's broadly accepted that the demographic is heavily skewed towards males, you know, about 80, 85%, depending on the, on the title. And, you know, that goes from anywhere between, you know, 16 to, to, to 30-year-old is, is the real core. And don't get me wrong, you know, there's some titles which is slightly younger and a couple of titles which is probably um, pushing it up to probably around 34. But, yeah, it's very much kind of male-skewed. And, and what, what I find super interesting and what, what I learned from Excel is those those nuances you just touched upon, Daniel, where, you know, you've got a title like Fortnite where the average age is kind of at 18, League of Legends, 21, and then Valorant pushes you all the way up to 28. So, 
you know, some something very different there for, for a brand partner and, and a different way to communicate that and, and take that to, to the community and to the audience as well. What's also super interesting is is um, how educated the audience is. So if you take a MOBA genre, which is a, a multiplayer online battle arena game, which is a League of Legends or, or a Dota 2, which is super tactical, very, very strategic, you know, there's a very high percentage of that audience go to university, uh, high percentage then go into working professional services. So actually you've got a really valuable audience there who have a high earning potential and, and they're big gamers. You know, my wife works in financial services. She didn't know much about this space before I started working at Excel. We were talking about it. She went into work and she's in investment banking. She spoke to some of her colleagues and they were all like, oh yeah, I play that game or oh, I play that game. They just don't really talk about it very openly because there's still a, a bit of a stigma around certain areas of, of gaming. But actually, I think that's been broken down and will continue to be broken down um, over the next few years, which I think um, just makes it even more attractive commercially. Like I said, I touched upon earlier on about sort of the, the skew towards male. I think there's a lot of work being done now by publishers, but also teams to address that. And looking at you know diversity and inclusion campaigns, how those underrepresented groups can have more um, presence within the space, and you know we've seen you know female-only um, leagues and teams being developed, and um, a lot of work being done with the LGBTQ plus community. Um, again, a lot of work to do, but it's actually going in the right way, and I think over time that shift will become more balanced, and um, again, only more exciting commercially as well. You talked then about publishers and changing their approaches and some of the things balancing out the demographic skew to a younger audience. Is the general view that that audience will mature over time and, and, and it will grow bigger or is it more of a more of a churn as people sort of leave being engaged with esports as they potentially get older and they're being replaced? It's a bit of an unknown, to be absolutely honest, because yes, you know, you take me in as, as, as an example, as, as you get older and you have children, then you have less time and things like that. But but what's super interesting is, you know, you take some of these titles, they might have only been around 10 years. So, you know, the audience now is say 25, 28, because they've been playing it for 10 years. I can't see those people, you know, moving away from it or stop playing it. So actually the audience and the, the demographic and age will, will only stretch and get older is what I believe um, in the years to come. You know, wait and see. But it's, uh, it's super exciting because, you know, you take, you know, average age of, say, some of the competitive players. There is a stat that says, I think you're 27 or 28, your reaction times uh, decrease. So there's a drop off there with players. But we don't know really what's going to happen because, you know, those people have only been playing it say say 10 years because the game's only been around there so you know will will players get older and still be playing at the highest level who knows and and again it's part of the excitement in the space because there's there's a lot of these kind of questions to be answered um but yeah super exciting yes i agree super exciting very interesting to think about as well now there could be a perception that because it is a maturing market, as we've said a couple of times, it's a teenager and, and hopefully teenagers mature. Esports, that it provides the opportunity for sponsorship managers to maybe not be so bound to the, well, we've always done it this way attitude that you might find in more traditional rights holders. Is that a, is that a fair perception or is there more opportunity to be innovative and push the boundaries or are you kind of bound a little bit like other rights holders because you are dealing with brands who have had experience in sponsorship and they may be imposing things on you a little bit? 
ultimately there's a hundred percent opportunity to do things differently and, and i think that really should be encouraged i think you know every rights holder in this space should be pushing for their partners and and the agencies that they work with to be to be doing this because you know ultimately the one word that's used and, and admittedly overused is is authenticity and and you know any panel or talk you know about partnerships in this space you know that word does come up but you know i think it is actually really important that you know esports provides this platform for brands to speak to this to this audience through their passion and, and if a brand can do that in an authentic manner while providing value back to the audience then you know the returns can be huge and, and we've, we've seen the community really embrace brands who go about this the right way now the flip is if brands don't do it in the right way, then then there was then there can be a bit of a backlash from some of the community. You know, more of a gaming example, but but Coca Cola released an advert back end of last year, which was around the Real Magic campaign, which you know gamers just didn't buy into, and they could see that it was a corporate play by Coca Cola to try and to try and you know tap into this audience, and and actually was really negatively um, reacted by the, by the community. So you know, there's some examples there where brands have tried to come in to do tried to come into this space, but it's just not, it's just not been successful because of the way they've approached it. So I think it's really important that you have, you know, either somebody in your business or you're working with an agency who really understands the space to help you kind of navigate that challenge. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the approach of, oh, we've done it before in another sport or in music or in, or in entertainment, and therefore it'll work in this space. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely advise um, brands to, to kind of avoid that, but you know, there's so much potential to, to come in and do something different um, and add some value that, you know, I think, you know, if I was a brand, I'd definitely be looking to add this into my marketing mix. And I think in the years to come, this, you know, gaming and, and esports will just be another another pillar um, alongside sport and music and entertainment. So there are other examples of when brands haven't been able to authentically engage with an audience and it just hasn't hit the mark. But your comments there were that there was a fair backlash towards Coke not being able to come across as authentic. Is there an element of from the fans, from the players, from the organisations that, hey, we're the ones that have grown this industry and we still have a fair bit of ownership of it and we don't want to be sort of told what to do. This isn't just a playground, even though it's maturing. This isn't just a playground for you to come in and step on. Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at it, like, compared to a traditional sports team who are, say, 120 years old, they'll have a lot of internal stakeholders they need to appease, whereas in, a, in an esports org, it's much you know, younger, much more dynamic, much more agile. So, so yeah, I mean, for, for sure, the, the approach is, is potentially slightly different. And the community is definitely there to embrace brands who come in and do things the right way. But there's yeah there's, there's a balance there's a balance to, to to being able to coming in and having value than just putting their logo here there and everywhere. When you moved into esports, what is something that you weren't prepared for? Maybe it was a shock or even something that you learnt that wasn't really applicable when you're in your other roles. Real question here is is, is where do I start, Daniel? Because um, there's you know there's there's quite a few examples for me that just you know spring to mind. You know I've worked in um, I've worked you know right holder side and agency side and previously to Excel and I was at the agency Wasman for a number of years and you know everybody always says how fast paced agency life is, but you know compared to esports um, it didn't come close because there's just so many nuances within the space where for example you know a new title comes out so Valorant. 
a game that that Wright released uh, a little over a year ago, which is their first title, first new title for, for for over ten years. You know that comes out. Everybody looks at it because they see it as a real opportunity, and everybody's trying to move to pick up talent, pick up players, have a really strong roster with a view that it'll potentially ultimately franchise, which is what they've done with League of Legends. So everybody wants to make sure that they've got a really strong team from the outset. So there's a lot of people moving around there. Um, as long, you know, that's on the side of your sort of day job of, of obviously trying to commercialise the team you're, you're already in, but thinking about how that might look commercially if you move into a new title, um, which is really interesting uh, as well. And then, um, you know, it's not just players coming out of contracts, but it's often whole teams. You know, it could be a, a roster of five players with a coach who become available, which then creates a new opportunity and in going into a new title. So um, a lot of work being done sort of, yeah, like on the side, shall we say, um, looking at those opportunities. And then, you know, you get the emergence of kind of new new teams and, and almost competitors overnight. You know, in the last couple of years, there's a French team called K-Corp who, who have emerged who have been really successful, a team in Spain called Koi, um, who are backed by uh, a big streamer called uh, uh, Ibai, who's got, you know, nine and a half million followers on on Twitch and, and I think um, eight million on Twitter. And, and he's partnered with Joel PK, the Barcelona um, defender. And they've created this new team. They launched in December 21. They've now got over... 400,000 followers on Twitter. So, you know, almost overnight, there's a whole new competitor that, you know, you need to start considering and, and, and thinking about, which is, you know, very different to, you know, whenever I've worked in football. Uh, another major point uh, to mention is, um, even though I obviously knew this going into the space, but the fact the, you know, the developer of the game fully owns the IP is super interesting from a commercial perspective because, um, you know, nobody truly owns, you know, whether it's football or rugby. Yes, FIFA might say they own it, but they don't own the the, the, the IP around that. So, you know, anything we want to do um, around, say, League of Legends, you know, we have to get approval from Riot. So um, January 2020, we we, we held um, a pre-season tournament, um, the Neosurf Cup with the, the partner Neosurf, who, who I brought on board. Um, but obviously to get that approved from Riot, who had never done anything like this, took, you know, a lot of a lot of phone calls, a lot of conversations. Had to um, you know jump through a lot of hoops to do it. So you know, great to get it done, but you know, very different to to I guess you know working in in traditional sport and that that kind of IP ownership. Um, something uh, else I was kind of very much directed and um, directly linked to my role was around the the content and, and creative capabilities that we had within Excel, which far exceeded anything I'd ever had before. You know, we did um, uh, some amazing content with our peripherals partner, HyperX, um, looking at backstories of our players and, and you know, the, con the content capabilities that we had in-house were, were second to none. And to be able to take that to a, a, a partner or a prospective partner and work as an extension of their sort of content and marketing team um, was a really nice, um, you know, USP to, to take to market and something that um, I think, you know, more more teams and more esports teams want to be leveraging um, to their to their potential partners as well. The few things that I've learned that, that probably aren't applicable um, is around the terminology and the kind of language I've learned while I've been in the space. So um, you know you'll 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 notice quite quickly. Um, esports loves lo love an abbreviation and they also love an acronym. And there are also so many new terms. You know you know. I remember um, tuning into my first League of Legends um, like live game and listening to the, the casters or the commentators as they're known and the language they use. You know, they talk about things like ganking, running it down mid, and they just use all these terms that you have no idea what they are. I genuinely thought the first time I listened to um, a, a tune into a League of Legends game, 
I was in a non-English stream because I just did not understand anything that was being said. So, so that kind of education that I, that, that I sort of took myself on and some of my colleagues at Excel really helped me on was super interesting. And then, you know, as we spoke about earlier on and me mentioning the mega drive, I think that, that, that tells you that I'm a, what is known as a boomer within, within, within the esports space. And the meme culture is also, you know, massive as well. So, you know, there've been many days when I'm like in work asking colleagues, like, what is this meme about? Because I just don't understand it. So um, things like that, um, not very applicable to my job, but, you know, definitely things I learned along the way. <laughs> so if you want to feel old all of a sudden, you just go and work in esports. It's great advice. Now, you know, in such a fast-paced environment you learn so much really quickly you spent two and a half years at excel what sort of myths are there still around esports that probably need to be dispelled there's plenty i think you know the first that comes to mind is around the audience and the and the, and the professional players themselves you know there's, there's a stereotype of a gamer um which is probably um still present with a, with, with a lot of people but actually you know there's so many sort of engaging you know, players and, and, and fans and members of the community that it's, it's actually not what a lot of people think. So breaking that down is, you know, you know, was a big part of my job and will be a big part of what I'm going to be doing moving forward. And, and also, you know, the education of, you know, it's not, you know, esports is not one thing. It's like talking about sport, you know, every, you know, every game and title has a slightly different audience and demographic as we kind of touched upon earlier on. But, you know, going back to some of the players, you know, you've got some of these personalities which are, you know, there's a there's a League of Legends player called called Reckless, and um, who's still playing now. You know, he's Swedish. He's got you know sleeve tattoos. He's he's you know could be a model. He did a, a Ralph Lauren campaign uh, last year with um, uh, the England rugby player Mario Toje and Spurs mid- midfielder Jung um, Min Son. So you know, you've kind of got some of these people who who really do cross over into that more mainstream, and I think that is only going to sort of benefit you know, gaming and esports um, more as a whole. And then you've got um, a player at Fnatic in their Valorant team called Boaster, um, who I actually used to work with at, at, at Excel very closely. And he's a super talented gamer, but he's also, you know, sings and he dances and he's kind of the kind of whole package. And again, more people like that coming out is only going to sort of help break down some of, the, some of these stereotypes. Additionally to that, you know, I think a lot of brands see this as purely digital, which, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, the last two years or two and a half years has obviously made it, you know, much more digitally focused as we've not been able to do events. But, you know, having those physical events are, are only going to be more and more important moving forward. And I was lucky enough to be in Paris in 2019 for the League of Legends World Championship final. And there was 15,000 people um, in an arena in Paris screaming and, and going absolutely crazy. And then, you know, if, if you look back, at, uh, you know, a year or two um, before that, you know, the final was in Beijing and they, you know, filled the bird's nest with League of Legends fans as well. So, again, there's physical events and, 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 and articulating the opportunities to brands, what they can do, you know, more experientially. And, um, again, it's super interesting for them. Well, a little bit of a segue or follow-on question to that. Some brands might have the perception that an esports sponsorship will be pretty much the same as all the other sports sponsorships that they've had. How true is that or not true? Some elements are comparable. You know, if you look at the, the, the set of rights, there, there, there's definitely some things, you know, consistent. So, you know, there's branding or content or social media and some of those kind of bigger buckets of rights. But, you know, as we spoke about, you know, there's an opportunity for the brands and the right holders and, and agencies if they're involved to really push push things forward and, 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 and innovate within this space. And, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, an esports audience is more more passionate than, you know, 
a traditional sports audience. But but what I will say is is they'll be very vocal um, about partnerships. You know what works. You know what doesn't work. And you know we saw um, I think it was last year. Uh, or maybe even the year before, you know, both um, Blast, who are a big tournament organiser, and, and and Riot, who, who, um, you know, League of Legends and have the LEC, which is the League of Legends European Championship. They both announced partnerships with Neon, you know, the the Saudi Arabian city of the future, and there was such a big backlash on that partnership um, from the community and especially the LGBTQ plus communities that, you know, those partnerships were pulled within 48 hours. So I think there's, there's, there's definitely um, fans coming into the space need to need to think about, you know, what they can do um, differently to, to what they've maybe done before, because it's not a one size fits all. Um, and I don't really think any partnership is truly that anymore either. But um, yeah, if they're, they're doing what they've done before, um, yeah, it, it may not work out to, for them. You gave some examples before, Mercedes, I think you included BMW, Gucci, Louis Vuitton. We had a bad example with Coke, not a great example with Neon, seems like it was pretty obvious in in hindsight. There can be, in some sectors, a little bit of a perception that sponsoring in the esports space is probably best suited or reserved for either technology companies or or those new and emerging brands that really want to push the boundaries a little bit do you see a role for those more established brands or or those that have been in the industry a long time and been involved in sponsorship in partnering with an esports entity or should they they maybe just sort of stick to the traditional stuff it might be a little bit too hard to pivot and include esports Definitely, there's an opportunity. Um, I think, yeah, there's there's an obvious fit with tech and emerging brands, and you see, you know, you know whether it's crypto and NFT brands, you know, really embrace the space because you know the audience is digitally native, so you know, obviously, makes a lot of sense there uh, as an example. But I think, you know, one category that I see, which I really think should be investing in the space, is 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 that kind of retail banking sector. You know, the traditional. Don't get me wrong, you know, Monzo and, and the Starlings of this world and those kind of challenger banks, you know, they're the perfect, perfect fit with those brands. But, you know, those traditional retail banks will be losing customers um, uh, to the challenger banks. And I think they can use eSports as, as a marketing platform um, to communicate to this audience. You know, HSBC have, have recently partnered with One eSports, which is a, an eSports media company in Southeast Asia. So hopefully that'll be the start of something. But, um, yeah, for me, retail banks, you know, given... Given the audience, you know, when people are looking to start their first bank account, you know, they may not know who these traditional banks are and actually, you know, being able to to, to talk to them through their passion, um, for me, seems a bit of a no-brainer. My brain hurts with all the opportunities that seem to be uh, there in esports because th- there seems to be many ways into esports for brands because they can partner with a platform, as you said earlier, like Twitch or a streamer. And you gave a couple of examples of um, streamers and players that transcend different parts of culture around dancing, modeling, singing, those sorts of things. Or the game itself, the, the producer, for example, EA Sport. What, what are your recommendations on when a brand might be sitting there thinking, oh, look, let's get let's dip our toe into the eSport water. What should they be looking to choose? Is there a bit of a, an advantage of one over the other at the start or is it maybe, you know, take a little bit of a combined approach? 
very much depends on on what the brand is looking to achieve. You know, the examples you, you've given are probably more gaming partnerships than than sort of specifically esports, which is you know the the competitive side of gaming. You know, you'd want to sit down with the brand to understand you know what their objectives are and obviously their challenges. But you know, a combined approach um, obviously would give a, a holistic offering. So. Um, you know, if budgets could allow for that, then yeah, you know, that, that, that would potentially make some sense. But yeah, I think, you know, every brand's needs going to be slightly different. Picking more than one um, angle would, would, would certainly be a, a super interesting uh, route to explore. You mentioned that some sponsors come to esports with the perception that there's just digital assets available. Run us through what sort of assets do actually exist in esports that, and it'd be particularly interesting to hear about those ones that don't really exist in traditional sports rights holders. The rights that exist, you know, you've got everything from, like I said, branding. So, you know, jersey branding and and probably, you know, more so than in a lot of traditional sports, there's, there's a number of spots available. And if you think, you know, when you're, when you're you know, on a video call, You've got the, the collarbone positions, which, you know, are very, very prominent, as well as, you know, front of jersey and, and get some really strong pickup. Um, you know, content, so I touched upon it earlier on, you've got those really strong content capabilities in-house, which can create content series for for, for brand partners as well. Um, you know, social, um, you know, experiential money can't buy, you know, a lot of things that, that you would probably um, expect in a, in a in a traditional sports partnership package i think the things that are probably slightly different um you know sort of some of the in-game opportunities if you were to go down the route of partnering with a, a big game publisher um you know don't get me wrong you know i know basketball you can you can brand the court and you can brand the um you know in and around that sort of the, the basket area and the backboard area but actually being able to integrate your brand fully into the game itself um i think is is, is really interesting and i think you know esports is is kind of probably leaning more towards that that US model on on some of the commercial decisions that they make on, on on where they can integrate brands, but they've kind of got a really nice balance where it doesn't feel overly commercialized. Um, so I think that they're doing a, a you know fantastic job there um, around what they can do kind of kind of within within game. Uh, and I think that's a, a pretty conscious decision right now from from those game developers. Because I think again, I don't think the community would really embrace you know 20, 30 brands being involved kind of in game uh, as well. I think um, there's opportunities in titles like Fortnite where you can create custom maps. So, you know, you can create a fully, you know, brand-owned um, island for, for for games to be played on, which I think, you know, wouldn't exist in, in obviously, traditional sports because of the, you know, the, the kind of... Um, the fantasy uh, element of some of these titles, you can do some really fun and, and interesting activations. And access to talent is something where, you know, I've seen working working within within Excel, you know, you can leverage and layer in players' individual social accounts into partnerships where, you know, football clubs, you know, very difficult to get, you know, footballers and, and, and you know, basketball players to be tweeting from their personal accounts or, or making um, Instagram posts from their personal accounts for for partners of the team that obviously need that individual endorsement. Um, I think, you know, again, agents are becoming more prevalent in the space. And I think that will evolve over time and probably be, you know, be separated. But for right now, being able to, to, to include, um, you know, players, uh, individual uh, social accounts is, is something that you could do, which again, is it, not very common um, outside of esports. 
Well, speaking of the talent, a reasonable amount of attraction in a sponsorship can be around a brand being able to access talent because of the appeal that they have with fans and those people the brand is trying to engage with. For traditional sports, athletes are you know, they're pretty used now to corporate gigs and speaking and being used as an asset. It just kind of comes with the job, so to speak. How would you describe how esports athletes are, are handling and navigating all of that? some people are better than others than standing in front of a room, a hundred people and, and, and doing a talk. So, you know, you have to make sure you're picking the right, the right person to, for the, for the activation. But, you know, um, you know, players are, are, are very sort of savvy about what they're going to do after their career. And as we spoke about, you know, some of these careers, um, you know, finish when they're sort of in their mid twenties. So people think about what they're going to do more uh, afterwards. Um, and I think, you know, players are aware of building their own individual brand and the importance of that. So, yeah, it's definitely becoming becoming more becoming more common. And like I said, you know, the agents will become more sophisticated around this and, and sort of separate those endorsement individual deals out of team deals. Um, but right now, from a brand's perspective, they can leverage that that individual and um, as well as the team if that's the route to go down, which is um, you know, very attractive from their point of view. Sponsorships aren't just about brands engaging with the consumer. Sometimes there are business-to-business marketing opportunities. In fact, a lot of time, there's lots of good business-to-business marketing opportunities. Often, these are provided through things like networking groups and business breakfasts and corporate hospitality at events and and things like that. Has business-to-business activation been prevalent or or growing in esports much, or is it still mostly business-to-consumer that brands are looking to activate? In my experience to date, it has been sort of mainly B2C focused. Um, I've worked with some brand partners who the B2B players has, has been really important in actually accessing Excel's network of other brand partners uh, with developers and publishers has, has, has been really crucial to the deal. Um, and I do think that will evolve and grow over time. There isn't really hospitality as such within sort of our partnerships because you know, we don't have a home stadium per se. Now, who knows what that's going to look like moving forward with things like the metaverse. But right now, it's not something we can we can leverage or have been able to leverage um, within partnerships. But yeah, see that becoming um, yeah a, a big driver in the years to come. So many great talking points. It's been super interesting. I'm wondering if you've got an example of an amazing activation in esports that you've been really impressed by that kind of ties all this together to really give people a sense of what can be achieved. There is an obvious one with with DHL, um, who did an amazing activation at ESL 1 Birmingham for the Dota 2 tournament. But I'm going to go into detail on that one because, again, it's talked about all the time. So I think if you Google it and and listeners Google it, they can can read up about that one. But that that is a real sort of um, shining light within the industry of a successful partnership. But one I've seen sort of more recently is around BMW. So mentioned BMW earlier on and, and and they came in about two years ago now um, and partnered with five of the biggest um, esports teams globally, G2 and Fnatic in Europe, Cloud9 in North America, T1 in Korea, and then Plus Phoenix in China. And they've since added a Dota 2 team um, called OJ. But but they, they've created this campaign around United and Rivalry. And what they do is they're creating this really fun um, social campaign and, and content where they're having the teams competing against each other and sort of in and out of game. And so when they're when they're up against each other uh, on a, you know on a weekend in a game, it's all under this United and Rivalry and hashtag. And then they're creating some really fun content with players from different teams as well. And I think you know having a 
having a really premium global brand like BMW come in and um, to the space and and really invest, you know, significant, you know, you know, millions of dollars picking up these five teams and creating some amazing content. And um, it's just a fantastic case study for the whole industry, and it shows, you know, other brands, you know, what can be achieved in this space. Esports, the teenager, it's going to grow older, it's going to mature. As such, what does it look like as a an early 20-year-old, so to speak? What sort of areas in the sponsorship space do you see growing in esports in, say, the next five to 10 years? Revenues within esports alone are over a billion dollars now, and the vast majority of that is, is, is focused in sponsorships, and I do see that growing. I think more broadly, commercially, you know, media rights is going to be a super, super interesting space as as um, some of these um, you know developers and, and tournament organizers and um, take take the, the content away from you know free to YouTube gaming and 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 sort of sell sell media rights there. Um, and I think you know ultimately you know it's going to become more mainstream. I think you know something we've talked about, um, Daniel, is around some of you know celebrities getting involved and um, the players having their own brands and, and becoming more mainstream so I think you know gaming and esports more broadly will become will become more mainstream and therefore you know see you know more non-endemic brands coming in which will then drive demand for these partnerships and and, and ultimately drive the price up so truly believe it's a really um, growth big growth market and you know I said touched on metaverse earlier on but you know everything that's going on with that and NFTs and Web3, which, you know, I'm not here to talk about today, but I think, you know, there's there, there, it could all morph in, in certain ways. And I think, you know, that's only going to see, um, yeah, more growth and, 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 you know, faster growth rate than we've already seen in the last sort of 10, 15 years, which again is, is super interesting. And these new categories of NFTs and cryptos, which are, you know, being embraced very much by the communities, um, yeah, just see uh, sort of like an endless possibility of, of, of where this space could get to. You've touched on it lightly a few times, Patrick, but the exciting news is that you're about to launch your own agency. Tell us all about what it's going to look like because I understand that it's going to be focusing on helping brands and rights holders maximise commercial returns in the gaming and the eSports space. Tell us more about it because it's pretty exciting starting your own gig. It's a really exciting time. It's slightly stressful. I'm not, not going to lie to you. Two young children as well. And um, I'm going, meant to be going on holiday in a couple of days' time, so um, just trying to get everything ready before before that break, and then we'll come back mid-March, you know, announce and launch the agency, which is going to be called Leap, and then um, yeah, really, really get going on on all fronts there. But you very much see an opportunity to to help brands and rights holders, but also sort of agencies as well understand this space and and you know believe I've got a bit of a sweet spot of understanding the esports and gaming space but also the commercial and partnership side of it as well so um yeah super excited you know been spending a bit of time you know at Excel when I was educating brands and and working with them to understand the space so I thought actually you know I could just you know do this potentially you know myself and you know with brands it's very much helping them navigate and, and demystify the ecosystem and help them understand why and how they can enter it. From rights holders, it's you know applying that brand lens, their proposition to help attract and secure um, and retain premium partners. And then agencies, you know, acting as an extension of their team to provide the expertise needed for them to you know win new clients and bigger scopes. And there's also an opportunity, obviously, with traditional sports teams who obviously have entered this space or thinking about entering this space and and, and helping them grow and look at their strategy and, and how they can commercialize it as well. 
so yeah, super exciting year ahead, and and um, yeah, hopefully you can have me on in a couple of years' time, and we can talk more about everything as well, Daniel. Well, funnily you should say that because I was just thinking as you were speaking about, I wonder whether there's a a, a focus for an episode around starting your own agency, so we can talk to you in a couple of months about those early stages, and then we can talk to somebody that's maybe been around for a few years, and then maybe a really established one could be an interesting one for the the listeners. But you're right, very very exciting for you so if people do want to connect with you follow your journey maybe keep the conversation going and talk more about those opportunities in esports how can they get in contact linkedin's a good one my email is patrick at weareleap.gg and you can find more information on the agency at weareleap.gg the website which will be going live in a couple of days well, Patrick Collins, we wish you every success with the new venture. But for now, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking us inside eSports Sponsorship. Be my pleasure. Great chat and really enjoyed that. We did an episode on eSports many years ago and Patrick and I have recently been playing email tag for some time. So it's been great to revisit the sector and get an update. It's such an exciting space. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, there is significant growth already, but still significant growth forecast for the foreseeable future across both audiences and revenue. And I know a lot of rights holders would love to be expecting that type of growth. And of course, exciting for Patrick to be launching his new business Leap Fox, which is all about helping brands and rights holders maximize commercial returns in the gaming and esports space. And you can check it out at leapfox.gg. And of course, connect with him on LinkedIn. Just search for Patrick Collins. Speaking of LinkedIn, if you'd like a shout out or you just want to connect with me and say hi, I'd totally love to hear from you. I get a real kick out of it. So please do connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 106. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.